This is the None of Your Business Podcast. I'm your host, Robert DeLude, and it is my mission to bring you inspiring stories from entrepreneurs, businessmen, and women, students, coaches, or anyone else who is crushing it in life and doing kick-ass things. We all go through struggles. It doesn't matter what our background is, but we can overcome them. And I'm going to show you how. Thank you for joining me today. Now let the show begin. And good morning. I just want to thank you guys for joining each and every week. Um, If you're new, tuning in, thank you for that. And just whatever holiday season you're celebrating, I hope it was a good one. And today, I have Mr. Jamie Alcroft. He is a professional stand-up comedian, voice actor, organ donor, father, husband, and a lifesaver. In this episode, we talk about you know, his journey of being a stand-up comedian, bringing Ellen on TV for the first time, and, ama- and some more amazing people. We talk about his wife's amazing career. We talk about letting go and the how powerful that is of just letting go. You know, we talk about the special connections with people. You know, he, just an amazing story, guys. I hope you follow us on Instagram. Like, subscribe, share it with a loved one. Share with somebody else so they maybe can get the knowledge and tools to become an organ donor. You know, just some amazing things. And before we dive into the episode, I just want to talk about my friend, Michael Chauncey. She is the creator and founder of Create Athletes. And if you don't know what Create Athletes is, well, it was originally to create strong women. And now she's leveling up and becoming an even better personal trainer. And you can be along this journey with her. New Year's is coming up. And if you're thinking about a New Year's resolution, or you know, you want to lose those holiday pounds, then Tyler Michael Chauncey can help you out. Or if you've been in the gym in a while and you want to set new goals, she can help you with that. She works with a variety of clients from bodybuilders to beginners. It you know, just truly an amazing. So if you need help, find her on Instagram at Tyler Michael Chauncey. Find her on Facebook at Michael Chauncey. Spellings will be in the show notes, guys. And please share this episode. Go, please go rate and review. Please. And have a great day, guys. Just enjoy your weekend and I'll talk to you soon. All right, so we're on. So, welcome. Who are you? What do you do? Hi, I'm Jamie Alcroft, and uh, I was a comedian for 40 years. I'm still a comedian. I do stand-up here and there around town, but I was with a comedy team, Mac and Jamie. Uh, We had a TV series in the 80s called Comedy Break with Mac and Jamie. did 125 episodes. Uh, Our sketch players were Kevin Pollack and Jan Hooks. We discovered them, put them on TV. Uh, we also put Paul Reiser on TV, 
Ellen DeGeneres, uh, Brad Garrett, and Sinbad for the first time. Wow. On our TV series. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so that was pretty cool. When Ellen DeGeneres got uh, trumped into the, um, excuse the expression, into the uh, Mark Twain uh, Comedy Awards, they showed a clip of her uh, on our show, which was her first television appearance. It was kind of oh. cool. Wow, that's... In 1984. That's really, really cool. Right yeah, on. very cool. So I had a very cool career. We opened for Diana Ross for seven years. We uh, toured the country, did The Tonight Show three times, uh, um, Evening at the Improv a thousand times, uh, you know, all those comedy shows. Uh, my gosh, we, we just had a wonderful career. And we met up in Key West. I was a uh, silversmith from Colorado, and I opened a store in Key West, Florida on Duval Street. And I got kind of bored uh, because the orders were coming in and I was fulfilling the orders and all that good stuff. And um, I went to the local radio station and I said, you know, I do voices. I can do Sean Connery for you, for God's sake. Oh, I, can, yeah. I can do Paul Lind. I can play around like that. Uh, I can do Tom Brokaw, NBC Nightly News. I can do George Burns. I could do John Lennon, perhaps. You'd like a bit of John... And they said, oh, yeah, that's great. Why don't you start tomorrow? You can be our morning man. I said, what? I was just going to help you out with voices. And they said, no, we need a morning man. So I was the morning man in Key West for two and a half years. And one day I got a note when I got off the air. It said, you must be one of the funniest men in Key West. I'm the other one. And it was signed Mac Dryden. <laughs> we got together and um, we decided to form a comedy duo, Mac and Jamie. and we had a, a fabulous career for 40 years. Fantastic. Right that's yeah, it was very super cool. cool. Very um, cool. And now I, uh, I'm editing a book. Uh, I wrote a book uh, because uh, I had a congestive heart failure uh, two years ago. And uh, the symptom was when I laid down, I'd run out of breath. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. You lay down to sleep and you run out of breath and you got to sleep sitting up in a chair. So I looked it up online and it said severe congestive heart failure. That was one of the symptoms. So um, I called my doctor and woke him up and said, doctor. And uh, he said, you know, come down here right away. Come down here immediately. And I went down and, and my heart had dropped to 7% of function. Uh, your heart is functioning at about 60 or 70% right now with a healthy heart. And my heart was down to one digit, 7%. Wow. He said, uh, you're going to need a heart transplant. And at that moment, you know, all my life, I thought I had control over everything. And I, I always taught my kids, I have three wonderful children, and I taught them that if, uh, if you have control over something, then you can have anxiety about it and fret about it and worry about it, but solve the problem. If you mm -hmm. don't have control over anything, then let it go. Yeah. Don't get stressed. Don't have anxiety because it's out of your hands. You have no control. And the moment he said, you're going to need a new heart, I said, okay. And all the control just washed out of my body. It was a very zen thing. I could almost physically feel it just washing away. And I thought, okay, 
I'm not in control anymore. I'm going to live or I'm going to die. And I went down to Cedar sinai which is the top transplant hospital in the world. And uh, I just went to the emergency ward and said, check me out. And they checked me out and they immediately put me in the transplant ward. I had to wait a month to get on the list. Yeah. Uh, you're not, just because you need a new heart doesn't mean you're on the list. Yeah. Uh, because what I learned was every day I was in the hospital, 22 people a day died because the organs they needed weren't available. Oh, wow. And I thought, oh, what is going on here? This is crazy. And I looked it up and I found out that we as a country only donate, uh, only 54% of us are donors. Mm -hmm. Only 54%. Other countries, it's in the 70s, it's in the 80s. But America, for some reason, we've got this, this hang up about giving life upon our death. And, uh, you know, the, you can save eight lives. You can enhance the lives of hundreds of people with your tendons and your skin tissue. And you can give eyesight to the blind with your corneas. Mm -hmm. So, you know, upon your death to be able to give so much life and to leave such a fantastic legacy, I thought to myself, well, you know, if I die, at least I'm a donor. <laughs> so when I was waiting in the hospital, I didn't want to watch daytime television. So I started posting on Facebook and I started posting these little things called the Tin Man Diaries because oh, yeah? what did the Tin Man need? A heart. Oh. Aha. So um, I got a huge following. All these people started following me all of a sudden, these strangers. I had all these friend requests because they wanted to follow follow the Tin Man Diaries. Mm -hmm. And I was encouraged to write a book. And uh, finally, when I did get my new heart and new liver, uh, they, I, I published it. It's on, available on Amazon. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to help people. It's going to help people who are ill and uh, maybe need some sort of transplant. Um, you know, kidney transplants are the most valuable and, and oddly enough, that's a living transplant. You can donate one of your kidneys to somebody and still function with one kidney. Mm -hmm. And they might die if you don't donate your kidney. Some people have waited 10 years for a kidney donation. Mm -hmm. I was very, very lucky. I only waited a month. I waited 30 days. Once I got on the list, they, um, there was a guy in Northern California riding a motorcycle. They call them donors because they get so many organs from motorcycle accidents. And um, he had an accident. And I don't know his name. I'll never know who he was. But uh, I call him Brian. Just, you know, made up with a Y. I spell it with a Y. I think that was kind of classy. Right. And I thank him every morning. And I go, hey, Brian. Thanks, man. I wouldn't be here without you. Wow. And, you know, what a legacy Beautiful. to leave. Yeah, you know, it's super it's, cool. It's it's um, it's really something that a lot of people don't think about, mm -hmm. and if they do think about it, I think they have uh, misgivings because of misinformation. And uh, so now, what I do uh, that I'm uh, now two years into a 46 year old heart. I'm 46, going on 70. I have a 46 Congratulations. I'm 46, going on 70. I don't know whether to have a midlife crisis or get a reverse mortgage. I'm so. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and and by the way whoever said laughter is the best medicine has never had a morphine drip i guarantee you 
because you can't beat those morphine drips. The hallucinations, <laughs> the hallucinations are wild. And I wrote about all of my hallucinations in the book. And I wrote about all my feelings about, uh, about someone having to die for me to live. Um, it was quite a, a moral conundrum for a while. And then, then I realized that this person's death would have nothing to do with me, really. Um, I'm, I'm not sitting around waiting for somebody to die, but in fact, I was. Uh, and this person had the compassion and the wisdom to be a donor, and they'll always be my hero. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty amazing. So, so when so you... that, that's, and of course, you know, I stopped doing comedy when I started having heart problems uh, yeah. because I just couldn't travel and I was weak, I'd run out of breath. So um, Mac and I disbanded and he's now living a very happy life in Louisville, Kentucky and um, married to a wonderful woman named Terry and she's a, an artist. And I'm here in LA and I'm married to a wonderful woman named Sarah who is a uh, ice skating choreographer and choreographs all the big ice shows. Oh, right on. Yeah, and did the movie I, Tonya, and she also did Blaze of Glory. Really? She, yeah, yeah. She that's, choreographed all that stuff. And that's cool. She invented the Iron Lotus. She invented which, it. Yes, which was, wow. the, move, which was the move. Where yeah, guys, yeah. I, I, a spoiler alert, anybody who's never seen Blaze of Glory doesn't know about that yet, so I won't, I won't spill the beans. It's a so great movie. But that's, wow, that's super cool. Right on. So uh, I want to go back to that moment when you were researching 22 people died just in the hospital waiting for, for a donor. Like what was going through your mind when like, I know you said you let everything go, but did you, were you ever worried like, Oh no, maybe I'm not going to get a heart. Uh, it occurred to me, but I didn't worry because it yeah. was out of my hands. Of your hands you know i i it, why expend the worry i i spent the energy on keeping the nurses and the doctors around me laughing after all i'm a comedian that's what i do yeah and uh you know i do three or four shows a day as the doctors have come in and honestly robert when you're in that condition when you're interacting with a human being you realize that it might be the last human being being you interact with this person's face might be the last human face you ever see mm -hmm. so you want to make that moment count you want to you want to make sure that they leave with a smile on their face you want to make sure that they're uh that they're enhanced and enriched by by the few moments you might have left uh and and really that's I think that's the attitude I had to take for my survival. And uh, I knew that if I did get a new heart, that, um, not a new heart, a previously enjoyed heart, let's put yeah. it that way, yeah. Yes. Not a used heart, previously enjoyed. And if I did get a previously enjoyed organ, that um, I would donate the rest of my life to encouraging donorship. And that's what I do now. I go around to Kiwanis clubs and, uh, city council meetings and, and uh, wherever I can go. Uh, there's a group called Mending Hearts that I spoke with about a month ago 
and I just encourage donorship. And I have a app on my phone where I can sign them up on the spot. So if I go to a meeting and I sign up even three people, I know I've saved 24 lives. That's amazing. Because with each person that passes, eight people can be saved and their skin tissue and their tendons can enhance the, and their eyes can enhance the lives of hundreds of people. So, um, you know, people say, well, you, you're speaking to a group of 60 people and only three people sign up. That's still 24 lives. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a big deal. And, um, and even so if there's just one person over a day's up. worth of patience. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's really, that's really cool. Um, if yeah. people want to go learn but, but, more what, about what I was or, thinking, what's that? No, go ahead. Ask. If people want to know more about, um, organ doning, like where would be some good websites they can go check out? There is really only one website and that's donatelife.org. Mm. Real simple donatelife.org you go to that uh if you live in california you can go to one legacy california.org or donatelifecalifornia.org um, and you can learn about it you can learn that uh, all the religions of the world except for one shinto uh, they all approve of donorship they all consider it an act of compassion and grace. And, um, and there was a guy, there was a guy in England who buried a, I think it was a $375,000 Rolls Royce. <clears throat> he buried that beautiful automobile six feet in the ground to show what a waste it is <laughs> to bury our bodies or to, to cremate our bodies. We're burning and burying organs useful organs every day and it is such a waste oh, when wow. people's lives could be saved that wow that's yeah, a good wow. point huh yeah and 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 you know and everybody wants to i think everybody at least i know i did i always wanted to change the world in some way i always wanted to make a difference you know you have this egalitarian vision of of you being some sort of hero and making a difference upon your death, you know, and before you die, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I'm going to make the world a better place. Well, being an organ donor is the easiest and best way to do that uh, because you make the world a better place by saving all those lives. That's, that's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Is there more of just being an organ donor than just getting it on your license? No, um, you can actually, if for some reason you don't want to go to heaven without your eyes or uh, you don't want to go to heaven without your lungs, uh, you know, you want to make sure that there's a place where they can sew on the wings. I don't know what people think. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just bizarre stuff. But um, you can stipulate that which organs you want donated uh, if that matters to you. But, you know, when you think about it, uh, being an organ donor is a very passive procedure. You don't know what's happening. Uh, yeah. The, the people from One Legacy, 
or wherever the PPO for Donate Life is in a state, they'll come to the family, they'll talk to the family. Even if the person's filled out their organ donor card, they talk to the family and they say, you know, this is what we're going to do. And these are the lives that are going to be saved. And, you know, are you still, you know, in accordance with your loved one's wishes? And most people say, of course, you know, this is what my loved one wanted to do. So we will honor that. And um, so, so no religion objects to it. Uh, they're not going to kill you or let you die just to get your organs. That never happens. That's a misconception. Uh, and people say, oh, well, you know, the people in the ambulance are, are going to see my donor card and they're just going to let me die. No. ETMs, people in ambulances, their one mission in life is to save you and to keep you alive until you can get into a doctor's hands. Mm -hmm. And the ETMs keep you alive till you can get to the hospital, if they can. And once you get to the hospital, that's when they see if you're a donor or not. That's when they determine whether you're a compatible donor. And, and so that whole idea of, you know, the doctor or the ETM is going to let you die because they want your organs. That's, that's bunk. It's just, it's just hype that people make up because they're maybe afraid of the procedure. I'm, I'm certainly not. I, you know, this heart that I have, this 46 year old heart, if I die tomorrow, I'm a donor. So this heart can be used again. That's amazing. Yeah. Isn't that a wild? I, I have a friend who just got a dual lung transplant. He had a terrible disease. I, don't, I forget the name of it, but it's, of course, a respiratory disease mm -hmm. that eats away at your lungs. It's like a cystic fibrosis type of thing okay. where fiberglass forms in your lungs. And um, he got a dual lung transplant. And now he's breathing again. Wow. Walking around and doing his thing. And that's what I'm doing. I'm walking around. Up. I mean, I live a... A normal life now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, it's crazy. Uh, besides being on a morphine drip when you woke up from your <laughs> surgery, what's the first thing that you remember? Okay, um, this is interesting. Um, very good question. It's almost if you knew what happened. Um, when I woke up, uh, I was in a medically induced coma for three days after. Mm the surgery because they cut you here mm -hmm. and here it's called a mercedes and they open you right up they split your rib cage and they put in the heart and the liver uh, i had had a bad heart for so long that it beat up on my liver and i was told that i had cirrhosis of the liver oh wow and i said i said yeah but how and they said well you have heart induced cirrhosis oh wow said, you mean i could have drank more <laughs> you're kidding me i feel unnecessarily sober and they said yeah you, you could have but uh so so they split you wide open and and then your body rests i'm sure it's traumatized and it rests for three days and when i woke up i thought that i was standing on a balcony addressing a pool party there were hundreds of people below me in bathing suits surrounding a, a swimming pool. 
And I started yelling, Konnichiwa, baby, Konnichiwa, baby, Konnichiwa, baby. And um, my wife's Japanese. I knew the word Konnichiwa. I don't know where it came from, but I was just yelling it at the top of my lungs. Now, in reality, my family saw me coming around and my daughter, of course, whipped out her phone and started videotaping me. Really? And they videotaped me waking up. And I said, am I alive? And they said, yes, daddy, you're alive, you're alive. And that's when I started yelling, Konnichiwa, baby. Now, I thought I was yelling it clearly mm -hmm. to, to the minions gathered before me. It was kind of like Evita. And, um, and in reality, I was going, <laughs> you watch the video, I'm just slurring it. And, and, uh, and, and, and then the doctor came in, I was making so much noise, a nurse and doctor came in and the doctor said, you know, how are you? Are you okay? And, and uh, how are you feeling? And you know, I feel okay. I said, I want to see that video you showed me before I went under. Mm -hmm. And the doctor said, what, what video was that? I said, the video you showed me. And he said, I don't understand. And I described to him what I saw. And it was a Greco-Roman temple. And it was like a drone's eye view or a bird's eye view, as the old people say. It was a drone's eye view of the temple and at the head of the temple, there was this, a, a little woman. Well, she was normal size, but because it was such a, a far off view, mm -hmm. she seemed small. She was sitting cross-legged in the top of the temple. And she said, James B. Alcroft, Jr. And I said, yes. She said, breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. Breathe in through my nose and out through my mouth. And suddenly, a, uh, a uh, oso de sepia, or a cuttlefish bone, that white bone that they put in parakeets' cages, okay. it was flat, but it appeared about three feet off the surface of the temple floor. And every time I breathed in and breathed out, a bright orange, almost computer-generated band appeared around the cuttlefish bone. And I'd breathe in and breathe out. And the voice said, great, you're doing wonderfully well. Keep breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth. And I kept doing it until the whole cuttlefish bone was covered with this bright orange glowing series of bands, which then morphed into my body. I could see my forehead and my nose and my stomach and my feet sticking up. And she said, are you ready to receive your heart and liver. And I said, yes. She said, thank you. I said, thank you. And whew, it went away. Wow. And that was what I thought was a video. Yeah. yeah. Yet the doctor said, no, no such video. That was all in your head. And so it's pretty cool because I will always have that video in my head.
-hmm. I will always have that image of that little figure encouraging breathe in and breathe out. And and the, the bands around the cuttlefish bone, everything. It was magical. It was just a magical moment. Yes. It was it was great. And 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 you know, I was I, as far as I knew, I was totally out during the operation. It was a 12-hour operation. It was six wow. hours for the heart and then six hours for the liver. And two different teams did it. And those teams of surgeons actually flew up to Northern California to pick up my organs. The same people that put it in your body have to pick it up from the donor hospital because they're responsible for those organs from procurement to replacement. It's just an amazing system they have. And um, I was laying on the gurney. I went down and, and I knew that I had been told by other recipients that sometimes you're told that a heart has arrived for you and that you're ready to go down to the operating room and you go down to the operating room and for some reason that heart is not a good fit. It mm. won't be the right heart for you. So you're then returned to your room yeah. without anything having changed. You're still left with that 7% heart barely beating in your chest. And I thought I, I prepared myself for that disappointment. And um, uh, I can't, I prepared myself for that disappointment, and yet I was laying there hopeful, of course, that this was going to be my moment, and the nurse said, Mr. Alcroft, are you comfortable? Are you warm? And I said, yes, I am. Thank you. And she turned around, and she said, are you warm? Are you comfortable? I said, yeah, I just said I was. And she said, no, that was 12 hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just, I was totally out. But somewhere in that ether, somewhere in that, that moment of transformation, I had that image and that voice spoke to me. It was incredible. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, have you ever thought about reaching out to Brian's family? Uh, I am not allowed to. Oh. Uh, the donor family has to reach out to me. Oh, and and they never did. Now, okay. because I'm a, an, an ambassador, I'm a world ambassador for One Legacy now, which enables me to go around speaking to these groups that I told you about about donorship. Mm -hmm. uh, ground zero for us is the DMV, because that's where people sign up to be donors at the Department of Motor Vehicles. So I go into the Department of Motor Vehicles and I speak to the employees at 7.30 in the morning, work at 8, and encourage them to at least offer the option of donorship to everyone who signs up for a license mm -hmm. because they are ground zero. And when you sign up for a license, there's a placemat on the desk and it contains all the information about donorship and all the reasons why donorship is a great thing. So um, what I've learned uh, by going to these meetings and uh, getting my training as an ambassador is that um, if it's a prolonged illness and people have prepared themselves for the death of their loved one, uh, very often donorship is just a no-brainer, excuse the expression. Um, but 
in this case, it was a motorcycle accident mm -hmm. and it was sudden. So I'm sure the grief was just tantamount to the fact that this was a sudden death and that they were happy to donate Brian's organs. But I, I just think they were grieving too much. Mm -hmm. And who knows, he may have had children. He may have had a wife. He might have been just going out for a gallon of milk. Mm -hmm. He might, you know, you never know. He might have been coming home from his, his work shift. He, you don't know. So um, I will at one point write a letter to them and uh, ask them if they want to hear their son's or their husband's heart beating in my chest because many people do that. Oh, really? Many people who are uh, donor families, what we call donor families, also are ambassadors and they belong to the One Legacy organization and Donate Life. And they go around speaking about how they donated their loved one's organs or how they decided to do that. And I've talked to them and they've said, you know, it's probably because the death was, was sudden and, uh, and that's why they didn't reach out to you. Mm -hmm. But I may reach out to them. Um, many of the donor families have put a stethoscope up to the chest of someone who have their loved one's heart beating in their chest and listen to the heart of their loved one beating. And it's, it's as you can imagine, a tremendously emotional experience. And I, I have a friend, uh, Michael Lieben, who lives in Israel. Uh, he uh, does a, a radio show about donorship and grief. And I did his podcast and we become friends. And he donated the organs of his daughter, his 15-year-old daughter, ill all of her life, really. And um, because in Israel, the donors can reach out, or the recipients can reach out to the donors, some of the recipients reached out to him. So he got to meet the 70-year-old woman who had his daughter's corneas. Oh, wow. And was seeing for the first time in 30 years, she had macular degeneration and she got new eyes and she could see for the first time in 30 years. So he met her. He met the, the little boy that got his daughter's lungs. And then he met, he's Jewish, and he met the little Palestinian boy who got his daughter's liver. Oh, wow. And that was a big deal for a Palestinian boy to get an Israelite's organs yeah that was a big deal over there and it got a lot of press and um so it's just you know i think i think the key word to it is compassion mm -hmm. that if you if you really sit down and you think about what a compassionate person you are and how you want to express that compassion uh it's a no-brainer to become a donor yeah and 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 let me let me say this too, that uh, you have to be brain dead for them to procure your organs. So, and 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 brain death comes when the body is failing, uh, the brain goes, and there's no blood to the brain because your heart isn't pumping blood to the brain anymore, and you become brain dead, and 
two sets of independent neurosurgeons have to independently declare you brain dead before they can procure your organs. Mm. So it, there, it's, it's a very tightly controlled, very conscientiously um, executed procedure. Uh, you know, the fact that the surgeons actually go to the donor hospital to pick up the organs is, I mean, how conscientious can you get? That's, that's just the height of, uh, of, of being a, a, a great, great program. Yeah. So let's talk about your book. Um, when does it come out? Oh, it's out already. Oh, it's out. Yeah, it's out. Yeah, it's out on Amazon. Oh. It's called The Tin Man Diaries. And it's funny. Uh, I have great reviews um, on the book. You can go to the, just go to Amazon, type in The Tin Man Diaries and read the reviews and see if it's something that you want to read. Um, it, was, it was an adventure. I, I, had, the, I had the blessing of, of not dying and having my life flash before me. But while I was dying, I had my life kind of meander before me. I was able to remember all these things that had happened to me and tie them into what was happening at the hospital. And, and um, you know, at, at one point, a doctor uh, was doing a liver biopsy on me and he leaned over and it's, this was at 6.30 in the morning. And he leaned over and he said, I'm Dr. Friedman. I'm performing your procedure today. I must warn you, there's a chance of stroke or internal bleeding. And I looked at him and I said, for me or for you? <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about here? <laughs> so I, I really tried to just, you know, if I was dying, by God, I was going to go out with a smile on my face. And I was going to go out with, with a smile on the, the face of that human being that I was seeing for the last time. That's awesome. You know, just the way, I, I just couldn't imagine going out any other way yeah that's beautiful right on yeah i had i had a, an opportunity it was a real opportunity it was an opportunity to live and it was an opportunity to uh bring a different perspective to the experience of lying in bed being hooked up to eight iv bags wires all over me <laughs> I have photographs of me, you know, with wires all over me and plugged in. And then they would do these procedures on me where they were, they were sterile procedures. And they were very, very conscientious about the sterility of these procedures. They do a, a thing where they put a, uh, what they call a Swan Gans, because Dr. Swan and Dr. Gans invented this. And they put it in your neck and it becomes a direct line to your heart. It's a carpool lane to your heart. So in case they have to get drugs to your heart immediately, they have this little port in your neck that they can just put a syringe in and boy, those drugs go right immediately to your heart. And um, it's a sterile procedure. And they said, well, we're going to do a sterile procedure on you now, Mr. Outcroft. You're going to have to wear a mask. And the day before, somebody had brought me a mask, a Jeffrey the giraffe mask from Toys R Us. Mm -hmm. 
So I put on the Jeffrey the giraffe mask, and then I put my sterile mask over it. <laughs> and when the doctors walked in, there I was waiting with a mask on my face <laughs> for the sterile procedure. <laughs> what did they say? Oh, they just cracked up. They just thought it was great. They went ahead and did it. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow uh, was, that uh, is i i actually had to take the mask off yeah but we got a good laugh out of it yeah but, you know that it's really the heck cool. and i i you know it was just kismet that i had been brought that mask the day before so yeah. for me not to use it would have been a crime wow that's yeah. that's beautiful i <laughs> I think how you went through this experience and how you're going through this experience is really something unbelievable and special that you're doing. Um, you're going around and talking and encouraging people to yeah. donate and the gifts and your experience and how grateful and when you might not even know if you're going to live again, you just serene and let everything go. I think that's really, really significant. I don't think a lot of people can do that well i I, th I think everybody can do that and i think it's just it's a mindset. correct yeah it's mm -hmm. it's it's it was out of my hands and yeah. it, even to the extent where the nurses would come in and they say okay mr alcroft what we're going to do now is I, i'd say don't tell me don't tell me what you're going to do i am putty in your hands i'm your guinea pig just do it just okay just do it Please don't, because telling me what you're going to do means nothing to me. What means something to me is that you're doing it and that you're trying to save my life. Yeah. God bless you. That's cool. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's way cool. So where can people find you? Uh, well, um, I live in LA and I am on Facebook. Jamie Alcroft. I'm on Twitter. I think it's Jamie A. And Instagram. And um, yeah, they can they can find me there. And they can go to Amazon and check out the Tim Ann Diaries. And they'll learn a lot about me there. And they'll learn a lot about the way I, like you say, handled this. Um, uh, to me, I, I had no other choice. Uh, it was just the way it had to be. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you can find my, uh, my wife, uh, Sarah Kawahara, who's a ice choreographer at Sarah Kawahara. And you can find my daughter, who's a little pop star, uh, on YouTube and all over the place. Her name's Haley Kiyoko. And she, um, she is going to be hosting the Billboard Women in Music Awards on December 6th. And she's just all over the place doing great things for kids. That's amazing. That's, that's really cool. With her right music. On. You froze on me for a minute there. Yeah, yeah. It's been uh, <laughs> kind of... <laughs> I'm not sure what's going on, if it's freezing or not. So <laughs> I got one last question for you. Sure. Shoot. What's your message to the world? Support your local planet. Mm, love yeah. it. Yeah. 
do everything you can to save our planet because my life is going to come and go but i want the planet to be here forever i want it to be here for my grandchildren and their grandchildren as the moody blues once said for our children's children's children that's uh that would be my message to support your local planet and be a hero donate What's up, guys? Man, that was an exciting episode, wasn't it? <sighs> Hope you guys learned a lot. Please, again, go rate and review this on your listening platforms. I would very much appreciate it. But today, I want to talk to you about Tyler Michael Chauncey. She is the founder of Create Athletes. What is Create Athletes? Well, originally it was to create strong women, but now, it's still to create strong women. You know, she's leveling up and becoming an even better personal trainer. And she has a special right now. She wants five new people. Only five. And you could be one of those five to lose 10 pounds in the next 30 days. If you have any other fitness goals, find her on Instagram at T. Y L U E R underscore M I K A L underscore C H A N C Y. Let her know that you're listening to this podcast and you need the best personal trainer. So go out, find her on Instagram. Let her know that Robert DeLude sent you. You know, she'll have you fill out a form, go through the process. And if you just want some amazing gym gear, she also has that too. The Create hoodies are so comfortable. Um, I, Yeah, I honestly wear it pretty much every day. So it's amazing and I love it. If I could sleep in it without getting too sweaty, I probably would. So anyways, thank you again for tuning in today and uh, I'll talk to you soon.